Well, friends, it is Friday. It is good to be with you on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. I am Mark Penrith. I'll be hosting you for the next two hours as you drive through the city in rush hour traffic, or as, well, I guess it's not rush hour traffic now, or as you cross the country on one of the national ro- roads, or as you sit in rain in the Eastern Cape. I hear it's raining down in Quebeca. <laughs> um, or as you enjoy the views of the sea down in Cape Town, wherever you are right now, it is good to have you with us. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, uh, Tepo Pitzel. Tepo and I both serve a church on the east side of Ekuileni in the great city of Benoni. And uh, we serve at Crystal Park Baptist Church, taking care of the souls of men and changing the light bulbs. Uh, Tep, it's good to be with you this morning. And uh, momentarily, we will be joined by Michael Swain. Um, now, you guys actually know Michael quite well. He is... Um, he heads an organization called 4SA, uh, 4SA Freedom of Religion South Africa is an advocacy organization um, ensuring that your rights uh, to exercise religious freedom in South Africa are, are, are being upheld um, and he engages between church and state and represents uh, us many times in the conversations that happen at a national level. Um, and I say you're used to speaking to him because I, I'm used to having 4SA on the show, but I think Michael's been away for like three or four months on holiday. Who gets three months of holiday? We'll get to that in a moment. Um, before we do, listeners, um, even as the show begins, I'd love to know who is online, who's listening right now. Uh, you can make us aware of that by popping a comment or um, sending us a note on any of the following platforms. We are available on Facebook. Uh, the Facebook page that we are currently live streaming to is Radio Pulpit, Radio Console, and there you'll see at the top is the live stream. It's going out right now. If you pop a comment in there, um, I will see it on my dashboard uh, here in my studio at the office at the moment. Um, we are also on DSTV. Uh, we are on OpenServe. Uh, we are going out via, well, we're not going out via WhatsApp and Telegram, but you can communicate with us on WhatsApp and Telegram. The telephone number is 082-657-2729. Love voice notes uh, on that medium. And uh, soon after uh, the show is going, I think uh, Mpo in the studio will send me through the number uh, for the studio so that you can actually phone in today. Then we can have a chat and speak to you. Uh, just so that you know what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of hours. Um, after I chat to Michael and we talk about the state of the nation, uh, we will engage on a question that came through last week that really tricked me. Um, it was out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we were looking at the chapter, but in particular, we were looking at verse 20, which talks about vessels created for wrath and other vessels that were created for honor. Um, and it was such a foxy question. I really enjoyed it. Uh, we tried to talk to it last week. This week, we're going to go into a little bit more detail. At this stage, I'm going to bring Michael into the conversation. Um, Michael, it really is good to be with you. Uh, the executive director of 4SA, uh, studied law abroad, uh, has been successful in business, um, uh, founder, co-founder of the His People Every Nation Church movement, and um, 
and uh, a, a tourist of South Africa at large. It is good to be with you, brother. Oh, you're a mute. Rookie error. <laughs> All right. How about that? That's way better. Way better. Good, good, good. No, it's wonderful to be with you. And, and, and just, just for the record, I, I think that the reason I missed our conversations was, number one, my holiday was from Friday to Friday. So that was two. Then uh, I was engaged in a meeting and then there was a public holiday. So what can I do, Mark? Uh, I love being with you. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a week that we weren't on air. So last week there was a 40-year anniversary birthday right. bash and uh, and we weren't on air. Um, but you know what, even for the weeks that you weren't with us, Michael, um, you had, uh, uh, I was going to say Nadine standing in, but it wasn't Nadine. Yes, she was so excellent, so well-spoken uh, on top of all the various different topics that uh, that we needed to engage in. I really enjoyed speaking to her, um, but I'm glad to have you back. I'm, I missed you. <laughs> I missed you too. What can we say? So, as we think about the wonderful country of South Africa, uh, a land that uh, we love living in, a land which keeps us on our toes because there's always something going on. Um, you know, in terms of the the freedom uh, of religion dashboard at the moment, as you look at the state of affairs and the current topics that you're engaging with, um, what's changed? What's new? Um, what's on the agenda? Well, I think the biggest development, and one that we've been waiting for for some time, was the Constitutional Court's judgment in a case known as the John Quilani case. And this was an absolute landmark decision on the definition of hate speech. Now, hate speech is a very important thing because obviously the wider you define hate speech, in other words, the more speech that is considered to be hate speech, the less actual free speech you have, because once you get into the realms of hate speech, then you're going to face sanctions. So this case in particular actually began, believe it or not, uh, in 2008, when John Quilani wrote an article, and it was entitled, Call Me Names, But Gay Is Not Okay. And in this article, it is true to say that it was a pretty horrible stuff that he wrote, and he accused homosexual people of being the cause of erosion of values. He argued that they shouldn't be able to marry legally. He endorsed former Zimbabwean President Robert Mugabe's vilification of homosexuals. And there was also a cartoon depicting a man marrying an animal. And obviously, a lot of complaints came to the Human Rights Commission, and they took out a case against him under Section 10.1 of, uh, of Papuda. We've talked a lot about Papuda. Uh, this is Papuda in its unamended form, the Promotion of Equality and Prevention of Unfair Discrimination Act. And he lost at the first instance and appealed to the Supreme Court. And he argued, which is very critical, that the Equality Act's definition of hate speech, under which he'd been previously found guilty, was broader than the Constitution's definition of hate speech. The Constitution's definition basically says there has to be an advocacy to hatred. In other words, I must try and persuade you to really hate somebody or some group and also incite some level of harm, typically violence against them. So kill the farmer, kill the boar, classic hate speech. So this was then appealed, the Supreme Court of Appeal decided in his favor, and then it went to the Constitutional Court. And this case has literally lasted over 13 years, but the ruling finally came down. So that was a very positive thing. Now, now just, just explain to me, when you say the ruling came down, um, 
flesh that out and, and what will that mean for, I don't know, the next 10 years and for various other um, uh, court cases that are, in, that are before the court at the moment? Well, very importantly, they redefined uh, what Section 10.1 in the Equality Act basically says. And that's what the Constitutional Court is allowed to do. And one of the big problems with the previous, let's call it, definition of hate speech was that it included the word hurtful as hate mm. speech. And of course, hurtful is a very difficult thing. It, it is so subjective because what hurts you, hurt has also been considered to be offense, um, actually wouldn't touch me. So do you know what's hate speech or not? And by the way, the context within which you deliver the speech is also irrelevant. You know, if, if I could say something in one context and then somebody else hears it in another and they're hurt by it, then there's still an, an action against me. And we've dealt with numbers of cases where that has been the case. But what they said was that the word hurtful was irredeemably vague. And so what they've now done, uh, because it was so subjective, is that they have replaced it with a much more objective test, which we think is uh, uh, some good news. Um, they confirmed that hate speech occurs when somebody says or does or writes something which a, a reasonable person would understand to have a clear intention to be harmful or to cause harm and to promote or propagate hatred. So although, I mean, just to say, although the court was empathetic in its judgment for historic equalities in our society, it did make it clear, which is very important, that hate speech does require a level of hostility, uh, they use the word detestation, that would exceed mere criticism, even if that criticism is experienced as offensive. So, again, to clarify, this is a good news story for the freedom of speech as well as for the freedom of religion in South Africa for the road forward. Well, it's certainly a, a, a better thing. Now, it's not that it is without um, its pitfalls. Um, it says words that are based, the actual definition is words that are based on one or more of the prohibited grounds. That would be things like race, sexual orientation, gender, uh, aid status, etc., um, against any person that could reasonably be construed to demonstrate a clear intention to be harmful or to incite harm and to promote or propagate hatred. So I think we must look at what main points we can take away from this new definition. Firstly, and here's the good news, they have defined it relatively narrowly because, of course, as I said, the broader you define hate speech, the less we can say in public without the risk of sanction. And by the way, it did specifically exclude private communication or communication between individuals. So that's excluded uh, from this uh, ambit of hate speech. And it also basically did well to define what it means by both hate and harm. So now we have definite objective standards. But I think what's worth mentioning is that you, know, you do nevertheless, and I think as Christians we should in any event, uh, be careful that we don't use inflammatory, derogatory, mm. derisive, you know, horrible you know, type of speech that would really cause people to detest anyone. For any reason for that matter. I mean, that is the antithesis of love. Um, and I think it's also important to note that we do live in a, in a country, in a society where our constitution does give uh, protection to sexual orientation rights and uh, same-sex couples do have equal rights to say marry 
um, to adopt children, etc., um, under our law. So, you know, yes, you may say something uh, concerning whatever faith you may have, Christian faith, particularly concerning the biblical definition of marriage that may contradict that. But it is probably worth noting, uh, and, and maybe even as a caveat, because one of the things they took a bit of an exception about with uh, John Quilani's article was that he was basically saying they should be stripped of their constitutional rights, um, which again, uh, <laughs> it's not that constitutions can't ultimately be changed, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. So it's worthwhile noting that we do live in a context where the law actually obviously permits and gives expression to uh, that right. But at the same time, I think the good news is that we can definitely uh, preach and teach and and, and be clear uh, without obviously causing some levels of vilification or advocating hatred or harm, what the Bible does say about sex and sexuality. I guess at a macro level, uh, what what encourages me is as we look at, um, let's say, former you know Western nations in Europe, um, certainly in North America, um, thinking particularly of Canada, which seems uh, increasingly liberal, but 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 liberal to the state where um, the freedom of religion and to exercise one's religion and to believe what your religion actually says um, in your scriptures. Uh, in your holy books is increasingly vilified uh, and increasingly under um, under threats from the courts uh, and civil society. Uh, it is encouraging for me to see South Africa, uh, in terms of this judgment anyway, uh, seems to have come to a fork in the road and chosen a God-glorifying path or a path that is more God-glorifying than, than the one that it seemed to be um, uh, following maybe four or five years ago. Well, it is good news. I mean, yeah, we have long been pressing against wide definitions of hate speech. You may recall that some uh, now probably four years ago, mm. there was the uh, Prevention of Hate Crimes and Hate Speech Bill that was before Parliament, and it was in a draft form. And we mobilized quite significantly and substantially against that we had over, I think, 70,000 submissions in that instance. And we also uh, had a meeting with Deputy Minister John Jeffrey of the Department of Justice, who's obviously the drafter of that. And as a consequence of that, again, encouragingly, he then revised the bill, the Department of Justice, to include a specific protection for bona fide religious preaching and teaching and what have you, um, that obviously didn't amount to an advocacy to hatred or incitement to violence. And fair enough. So that's a very good thing. And again, what we try to do is for SA, and we did the same thing with the Papuda Amendment Bill, is to make sure that our constitutional rights to religious freedom, which means not only to be able to believe in your heart what people want you to believe. And, and, and that's really, I think, one of the trends of the societies that you've mentioned, is that people say, yeah, you know, you can believe what you want, but just don't talk about it and just don't express it in public or live it out in public. But that isn't freedom of religion. So our rights to freedom of religion in this country have already expressly been stated by our constitutional court to include our ability to believe whatever we want to believe and to live it out and to express it and to pass it on and also be able to pass it on to our children. So, you know, parental rights are very important because it also mm. protects the rights of parents to pass their faith and their beliefs on to their children without interference from the state. So this is, a, I, I think, a, a very positive judgment in the sense that it has certainly 
defined hate speech far more narrowly than it was originally under the Equality Act or Papuda. But it just goes to show that it has taken literally 21 years for the definition that was passed into law by Parliament to actually be effectively declared in parts at least to be unconstitutional. And now Parliament, by the way, has been given 24 months to amend the Papuda Act. And you might recall that we've been very involved in the Papuda Amendment Bill. And there were over 150,000 submissions made to object to the previous draft, which was wonderful. And we did have a meeting, and I think that's been mentioned before, with the Deputy Minister. And we're also asking for a specific protection uh, for religious freedom rights to be included in the new Papuda, which would in fact reinforce uh, the uh, some narrower definition of hate speech. And that's a very good thing. You know, uh, you, you've used two numbers which really relate to the listeners um, this morning. The one was 70,000 folks signed a petition uh, three or four years ago, and the other was 150,000 people signed a petition um, regarding the Papuda Amendment Bill just a few months ago. What is the role of of us as citizens in terms of engaging with the state at these very important junctures where, where either legislation is on the table or when, or when actual cases are, have come to court? What, what is the role that we play um, and, and what is the best way to get involved in these kinds of constitutions so that our little voice is heard together with the collective? Um, maybe you can just give some guidance there, uh, Marco, because I know this is your real area of, of expertise. Well, when it comes to court cases, there's little the average citizen can do, because at that point, it's really down to judges and attorneys and advocates to argue it out and battle it out in court. But when it comes to proposed legislation or policies, it is of paramount importance. It is of critical uh, importance that people do actively engage because we do have, which is a great benefit in this country, a constitution which defines democratic process, which government must follow. And every voice therefore counts. So these submissions, as we have seen, have made a significant and substantive difference to the outcomes. You know, without people actually doing what they did and actually writing in to object and to express their concerns, we could have been left with a very, very different context. So mm. you know, for our side, Freedom of Religion South Africa, we are a legal advocacy group and we look at every bit of legislation that's coming through all the policies and so on. And when we've done our analysis, we then present what we believe to be the concerns perhaps that uh, may be presented in this legislation to religious freedom as a threat. And we will perhaps put forward some proposed solution as to what we think could be done to amend it or to alleviate or to mitigate the threat. But then it's down to uh, you, it's down to your listeners, it's down to us, if you like, to then engage. And when we do, as we have seen, I mean, you know, 150,000 is a substantial voice. I mean, every voice counts. That's what we were saying. Every yes. voice counts. And once you get that type of number, it is impossible for government to just simply steam on and continue on whatever path it may have picked initially. It must take every single one into account. And if they do simply ignore them, then again, you're in a much, much stronger position to bring some form of legal action to basically say that process has not been properly followed. And, and 
failing to follow process can actually uh, literally derail uh, something that government wants to do. And we've seen that on multiple occasions. So that is absolutely key. And th there's going to be more uh, coming up. So, you know, like, get ready and please watch this space. Well, you know, and again, just because you've done it once, don't think that that's the end of the story. I mean, it's fantastic that people did, but yes. we cannot just sit back and say, oh, you know, I participated last time. I'm not going to participate this time. Because often what you get is it's almost like, you know, voter fatigue. <laughs> you know, <laughs> people feel, oh, I just can't be bothered again. But we have to watch this space. And I really want to encourage people, Mark, to stay informed. You know, the Bible speaks of the sons of Issachar who understood the times and were commended for that. And it is so important in an age where there is an increasing, I would say, pushback against people of conservative values, particularly faith values and particularly Christian values, that we actually see what's coming and we do what we can while we can to mitigate that and to protect and promote the rights and the freedoms which we have been granted under our constitution. So, Please stay informed. Go to the 4SA website, forsa.org.za, our website, sign up for our newsletter, uh, look at our Facebook page, Freedom of Religion SA, and stay involved, stay informed. And when we do put up our hands and wave the flag and lift up the standard, please rally to it and please get engaged because it is us together who makes uh, such a difference or can make such a difference. And it, literally, without that, we would be living in a very different, I believe, legal framework and environment, which would make it more difficult for us to live out, express and share our faith. Well, I do think, it, I think it's very important that we celebrate um, wins, uh, that we acknowledge when we have got it right, because the truth is we're in a battle or we're in a war <laughs> that will have many battles. Um, and so uh, w when the courts do rule in our, in our favor, we, we do, we need to celebrate. And when 150,000 people around the country um, join in a chorus of voices uh, to say that something is right or something is wrong, we, we really do need to encourage those that joined uh, and, and heard, the, heard the clarion call uh, and rushed to the banner. And so for those listeners who did join uh, the petition, I really wanna say thank you so much. And for those listeners who are intrigued uh, we have heard what Michael has said this morning uh, and who would like to know more about the ongoing discussions between the church and the state. Uh, can I encourage you to go to 4sa.org.za uh, and there you'll get uh, far more information than, uh, than we can even cover <laughs> uh, in half an hour on a radio show on a Friday morning. At the same time, Michael, I do want to say thank you so much uh, for this morning. Brother, any, anything else on, on the near horizon uh, that we need to start thinking through over the next couple of weeks? Anything that's uh, keeping you up at night or making you sharpen your pencil at this stage? Well, just one mention is that today is the cutoff date for the amendment bill, which will amend the Constitution on expropriation without compensation. Today is the day. So you can actually go to the DRSA site, uh, which was the one D-E-A-R-S-A. If you type that in, you'll find it. And you can make a submission on expropriation without compensation. We, uh, as 4SA, obviously our role in that is very limited. We just want to make sure that you know, property that's owned by churches, for which is obviously in the most part legitimate and very beneficial to society, religious purposes, is excluded uh, from any form of expropriation without compensation. But 
you know, that is something which is literally in front of us today that you can get engaged with. And then we're also watching to see what will happen now, because remember, we mentioned the Prevention of Hate Crimes and Hate Speech Bill, and that had basically been held back because of a lack of clarity. Now that clarity has been brought by uh, this judgment in the Kualani case by the Constitutional Court that we've been discussing. And the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services, uh, Ronald Lamola, has said that they will now basically be pushing forward with that and it will now proceed to Parliament. So, again, when that comes out, we're going to look at it again very carefully. We're going to make sure that the religious freedom protections that were previously promised are included and we will have the opportunity and everybody must have the opportunity to make your voices heard again. So, you know, th th this isn't something that stops. We unfortunately can't just sit back on our laurels <laughs> and say, oh, great, you know, it, 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 it is something which is a constant tension. But by the grace of God, and as we all engage and do our civic duty, so to speak, uh, we believe that we can protect and promote our critical religious freedom rights so that we can live out and express and enjoy and pass on our faith. Well, brother, strength to you as you carry on uh, serving us as uh, as the church and as you continue to play your role uh, in the state. Really enjoy speaking to you, Michael. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, brother. Well, listeners, Great. as we come to the next phase in uh, this morning's show, as we start to engage around questions and answers, particularly those that pertain to God's word, um, we are going to pick up the baton where we left it off last week. Uh, last week, we had a couple of engagements from a number of regular listeners. I think of Glenn Williams. I think of Peter Smith. I think of um, uh, a number of people that came in uh, and asked questions around 2 Timothy 2. And so this morning, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to spend quite a bit of time in 2 Timothy 2. Uh, we did we did kind of go through the passage really quickly last week, um, but this week I think we have the opportunity uh, to do that in a little bit more detail uh, and go through it. Uh, in the meantime, I, I think I'm going to bring Tepo in now, um, maybe just to kind of give an update in terms of what we did last week Friday. So last week Friday, uh, if you are a regular listener to the show, you will know that there was no table talk with Mark. Um, instead, uh, we enjoyed the birthday celebration. I didn't get any cake. Uh, I think the guys at uh, Radio Pulpit Head Office need to note that I did not get any cake for the birthday <laughs> celebrations. It's okay. There's no judgment here. I'm just making the note. Um, but but there were birthday celebrations last week, and Vainant and uh, uh, Janine and and everybody was taking uh, the various different shows during the week. Um, and and so as a result, what we did was. Uh, we went back and we studied through 2 Timothy 2, which is a question that came through from a listener. I think his name was Devon, uh, who asked for clarity on 2 Timothy 2.20, uh, which we will read shortly. Um, but but what we did was, uh, Tepo and I, after the show, decided that we'd go away and we'd study the passage even in, in with more intent. Um, and we made a call on social media uh, for others that would be interested uh, in workshopping uh, the passage together with us on Friday between 9 and 11, um, and we had a fair response. Uh, Tepo, do you want to just uh, give give some feedback just in terms of how the workshop went and what format we used and uh, the conversations uh, that we had? Yeah. So, 
Um, so we had, we had actually I enjoyed last week. So we had the, the opportunity of going through um, just methods of how to get the exact meaning um, from the text itself. So basically you look at what the history says, you look at um, how you end up in chapter two um, and why Paul is saying what he's saying and what he said before and what he says after so that when we get the actual meaning of the text, it is actually in context of what Paul said as a whole. So so we did all of that. Um, and it's basically, I think, I think it's also going to be beneficial for those who are listening because um, it's a tool that you two can learn as to how to understand what um, what what Paul was saying and why he said what he was saying, and so get the whole flow of the thought instead of just cherry picking and saying, "Oh, this this text here or this verse here looks looks different, or it means something out of context to what Paul has been saying throughout the whole letter." So yeah, um, I actually enjoyed it. Um, and I guess we all agreed at the end of the workshop what the interpretation was. You're on mute. Good, uh, uh, good introduction. Yeah, I, I enjoyed the workshop as well, um, brother. We, um, we were joined actually um, by Robert uh, Kinley, who is from the Charles Simeon Trust. Now, the, the Charles Simeon Trust is an organization which really focuses, focuses, is, <laughs> that's not a real word, um, which, which focus, their emphasis is on <laughs> expository preaching. Um, expository preaching is the, the art and the science of coming to a passage of scripture, presenting that to the church, uh, and then making the main point of the sermon, the main point of that passage, and applying it into the hearts of the hearers. Now, the Simeon Trust focuses on expository preaching, on, on helping pastors preach the meanings of the texts of God's Word. And uh, last week, Friday, in the workshop, uh, we were joined by um, the executive director of Charles Simeon Trust. He, he lives in Geneva, Switzerland. <laughs> and he was actually, because Simeon Trust is based in Chicago, and he'd been at a meeting in Chicago and was flying over... Well, what what ocean is that? The Atlantic, I guess, um, to Geneva, and he had landed in some airport and connected with us from the airport lounge, <laughs> and uh, we spoke to him for for uh, the two hours, and uh, and yeah, he 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 guided and uh, and gave a number of tools to the text. Uh, we were also visited and joined by a couple of longtime heroes. Uh, Peter Smith was there, Glenn Williams was there, um, and a number of other people. It was really great just to to be looking and 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 engaging and going through God's word uh, together with God's people. I, I also thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it, Seppo. So this morning, I, I'd like us to pick up where we left off. Um, last week, we, we covered 2 Timothy 2 over a period of a few minutes, maybe five maybe a little bit more. Um, I think we actually landed um, at a fairly good place as we went through the text. Um, rather than just come to the one verse and give an interpretation, which 
It could have been pretty much anything. Uh, we instead chose to read through the chapter quite carefully, quite closely, and relatively slowly. And by the time we got to the text, the meaning had already started to present itself and be relatively clear. What I'd like to do is I'd like to do that in a little bit more detail this morning um, and maybe also demonstrate some of the tools, some of the, the technical tools that we'll use in order to understand a verse and make sure that we're not understanding it out of context for the, the, the pages um, around us. And so, Tepo, I'm, I'm hoping that you and I uh, do that together, brother, that we work through the text. Even before yeah. we do, let me just bring in some... Uh, some listeners into the conversation. Uh, a number of you have dropped um, um, greetings. Uh, Stephen, uh, thank you. He's looking forward to the program. Justin B, top of the morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Blessed Friday ahead. Uh, right back at you, brother. Uh, Susan Smith, um, Papuda, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And thank the people who stood up and did something about this and people like you who stood up. Uh, there are a number of other greetings uh, at this stage um, on um, on Facebook, on YouTube, and in different mechanisms. I, I'd like to give you the studio number if you'd like to um, phone in, dial in, and actually speak to us live on air this morning. I'd like to give you that opportunity. The number to call is 12 012-334-1322. 012-334-1322. And if you call in, you'll have the opportunity to either ask a question, make an observation, um, and engage with us uh, live on air. That will be quite an interesting dynamic as well. I'm looking forward to your calls. Um, so let's just turn now um, to the passage, the, the text that, that is under discussion. And uh, maybe if we start um, by just taking a look at the, the question, the text that, was, that we were really had the question around, uh, it is 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. And it reads, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, it reads, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay. And some are for honorable use, and some are for dishonorable. Um, and that's as far as <laughs> that verse goes. Uh, it certainly... Um, kind of doesn't give a lot of context if you just read the verse by itself. Um, normally the verse is taken with the next verse, which is the application of the illustration. Uh, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And the question that um, that we really raised as we came to this text last week was, well, what is this house here? Is this house speaking of heaven? Is this uh, that there are gold and silver vessels and wooden clay vessels in heaven? Uh, that would seem somewhat strange. Uh, is this talking about the earth generally, uh, that there are both gold and silver vessels and wooden clay vessels um, on the earth? Uh, some are honorable and some are dishonorable, and uh, a person must purify himself from any uh, from anything dishonorable. Or is this talking about the church? Maybe the church with a capital C or the church with a lowercase c, um, the church local or the church universal, um, acknowledging that there are people with good intentions and people with bad intentions uh, in the church. Um, what is this talking about? What does it mean that some vessels are 
uh, only gold and silver, and some vessels are wood and clay. Um, what is the Apostle Paul driving at in this text? And in order to understand this text, what, what we really do need to do is we need to go back to verse 1 and begin working through the chapter in order to give the text context. A, a text without context is, is merely a pretext to disaster. <laughs> uh, you can take pretty much any text out of Scripture and make it say or make it mean almost whatever you want it to mean. But as soon as you start to look at the text of Scripture within the framework in which they were given, understanding what the literal interpretation of this text is, um, giving consideration, careful consideration to things like grammar and historical context, all of a sudden, the number of interpretations that are available to you are narrowed considerably so that you can come to a stage of really understanding what the authorial intent of a text is. In other words, what did the original author mean when he wrote this passage to the original audience? That's what you really want to get down to. And really, that, that's what your pastor, that's what a a good preacher is doing every single week as they prepare their heart and their mind to proclaim God's word at a Sunday service. Um, they, they're not, they're not if they are worth their salt, uh, approved workmen, rightly dividing the word of truth. They, they're not picking, cherry picking a verse here and a verse there, and then molding that verse to mean whatever they actually want to say on a Sunday. What they're doing is they're coming to Scripture and they're trying to find out what does this text actually mean so that they can present the actual meaning to God's people. And then through theological reflection and then through understanding how this text relates to Jesus Christ and his church, find out, well, what does this mean and how does this apply to me today? Um, there are so many dangers of short-tracking that process of going from the text directly to application, um, from that text directly to my year and now. Um, so many dangers of doing that. Uh, tips as, as I'm talking, uh, anything kind of strike you um, or anything that you want to underline or highlight uh, in terms of this process of, of, of preparation and understanding a text in context? Yeah, so I do think, um, firstly, I, I, I do, well, this is this is a phrase, I'm not even sure where I got it from, but <laughs> it's basically this theology is for everyone, right? Um, so as a lay person who sits under the teaching of God's word, as in you listen to your pastor, and I actually, I actually went through my, my uh, what do you call this, when Facebook reminds you of all stuff that you've posted, <laughs> Or something that Mem happened. Mem memories? Is it memories? Yeah, man. Yeah. How can you forget that so, word, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I put in a specific word. So, so I I read what I wrote in I think it was 2017, if I'm not mistaken. If I'm not mistaken, um, I said this. I said, um, now I'm trying. To, I'm trying to remember what exactly I said, but it's 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 it goes something like this. Uh, uh, dear dear congregants, the Holy Spirit who teaches your pastor is the same Holy Spirit who can teach you too. So, so that's, 
Yeah, so that's that's exactly what um, this whole process of getting the meaning from God's word um, does. Because if you have the Holy Spirit in you, he's able to teach you what he inspired the authors of um, individual books of the Bible. Um, obviously, he's the main <laughs> author, uh, but what he inspired them to write, that he can make plain to your side. So yeah, um, theology is for everyone. It's not only for pastors. And yeah, if you spend as much time as you can, you'll be able to dig out what the true meaning of the text is. You know, that's actually a quotable quote. I love that. Tepo Pitzel. Theology is for everyone. And it really is true. <laughs> theology is for everyone. And the same Holy Spirit in your pastor is the same Holy Spirit in you. And that Holy Spirit causes us to love God's Word and causes us to understand God's Word as we study God's Word. Uh, I mean, this process of the Holy Spirit helping us to understand God's Word can't be uncoupled from the hard work of studying to show yourself approved. Um, uh, we are to study God's Word. We are to bury God's Word deep in our heart. That This requires a, an intellectual process of renewing our mind and understanding the text and doing the hard graft of looking at what's there. But at the same time, it's the Holy Spirit which really uncovers the meaning to us, uh, helps us to understand, helps us to believe that we might uh, live to God's glory uh, and even creates the change in our heart that we can live God-glorifying lives. So yeah. so let's go take a look at uh, at the text before us this morning. Uh, let, let's start off by, by taking a look at verse 1. If you're at home, um, look, if you're in your car, don't open your Bible while you're driving. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just like you can't use your cell phone while you're driving, don't open your Bible while you're driving. Um, but, but listen along, we'll be as careful as we possibly can uh, as we go through this text. Um, but but if you're at home, now would be a great time to grab your Bible translation and open it to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is in the New Testament, so second half of your Bible, and it is toward the, let's say, the latter third uh, of the New Testament, before the books like Revelation and 1, 2, and 3 John and 1 and 2 Peter. You have Timothy and Titus and Thessalonians. They're all nestled together. Um, and, and maybe let's just start by, by just noting the character of the book that we're reading, um, even before we read verse, verse 1. Um, how would you go about describing the book of 2 Timothy uh, if I hadn't read it before and you were just, you know, about to open it, uh, what kind of context would you would you talk about in terms of maybe the genre or the the context of the writing uh, of the book of 2 Timothy, Temple? Okay, I think uh, I think Temple's uh, <laughs> frozen on uh, on Zoom at the moment, so. Um, what we will do is we will continue the conversation uh, with Atim for the for the meantime until his uh, signal He's is rescued. Sorry, oh, uh, you're back. Okay, for for the briefest of time, you disappeared. Um, but it's good oh. to have you back, brother. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, oh, where was I? What's the last thing you heard? <laughs> well, you didn't hear anything, so you can. Tell us about the book of 2 Timothy. Okay. okay, so obviously Timothy is a young minister. 
Yeah. And um, well, hang on, that might not be obvious to everyone, but but let's just say, you know, if you had to read the book of Acts, you would discover yeah. that when Paul enters into the scene, and we're talking in, you know, after Acts chapter twelve, uh, I mean, you know, Acts, Acts chapter nine, yeah, and so it carries on. Uh, he begins these missionary journeys, and yeah. on one of the missionary journeys, he picks up a young man named Timothy. Um, and Timothy starts at first to be with Paul on his missionary journeys, but by the time we get to, to Timothy, Timothy is a young minister. Yeah. That's a great start. Roll <laughs> on. Yeah, so so obviously, um, well, not obviously, but Paul, Paul left him here at this church, and so Timothy's running the ministry, and Paul is um, just guiding him as to how God's household has to be run. And he's just encouraging him. Um, look, this is uh, tell tell the old men this, <laughs> uh, the young men. <laughs> must do this. Uh, so do not let the older men despise you for you. There's the young man coming in. Um, now, would you put yourself in the young man category and me in the old man category yet, or do <laughs> I still qualify as a young man? No, you you're not you're not about to die yet. You're still young. So Paul you're, about you're, you're. <laughs> Okay, cool. So I'm still young. Great stuff. I yeah. know my wife is listening because she because uh, she shared the Facebook post. And so, baby, uh, your husband is still young enough to be called young by one Tepo Pitzel. Hey, Tepo, oh, I, I, I want to just pick up a couple of things that you said there. Um, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned Timothy. You mentioned old men. You mentioned Paul encouraging Timothy to speak to these young men. Maybe just something about what we can gauge from the the character of Timothy, and then also take a stab at what church Timothy is at right now, and some of the things that we might know about that church. Ephesus. He's, he he's is at church. Ephesus. You're right. So Paul yeah. sends um, Titus to Crete, and he sends Timothy to Ephesus. You, you yeah. you're right. So. Ephesus being in Asia Minor, an yeah. established church, uh, a church that has quite a long history in terms of the Christian movement at this stage in the Christian movement's history. And we're talking, yeah, uh, well, also maybe date the book a little bit as well. Mm, that I may not get right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to take a dating of Timothy as yeah. right towards the very, very end of the Apostle Paul's life. Um, and so we're talking AD 64, 65, just before Paul is finally martyred for the faith. He's going to fairly soon now um, be uh, killed by sword, tradition will tell us, um, uh, under the emperor, uh, and he's going to be martyred for the crystal faith, uh, for the for the Christian faith, and so and so. Really, th this book is the last notes of yeah. an apostle, and and we're talking about an apostle of God, one sent out by Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, who are people just like me and you, Tepo. Um, and it's the last notes of the apostle Paul to a pastor of a church which he holds very dearly, the church of Ephesus. He was involved in its inception. He was involved in its strengthening. Uh, it has been an instrumental church in the area of Asia Minor, which is just off the Asian Sea, um, just above the Mediterranean Sea. Um, he's been very involved in this church. He loves the church. He loves Timothy. And these are his final notes to 
this timid young pastor who is really his son in the faith. Um, yeah, anything to add? Well, what's the genre of the book? Well, it's an epistle. It is. It's an epistle, right? So yeah. when we talk about an epistle, because, I mean, that word uh, kind of, I mean, is that even English? What does that mean? <laughs> it's, it's a letter. It's a letter. Okay. Yeah. And the characteristics of a letter, uh, what kind of characteristics would be born in a letter? Um, sometimes dialogue, um, maybe instruction as well. So I think, but but in this particular one, it is. Hmm. Can I just put a small small correction here? So so yeah. dialogue would be what you and I are currently having. Um, you know, yeah. a, a, a two people talking. So Mark said, John kicked the ball. Tepo said, mm-hmm. Where did John kick the ball? Mark said, mm-hmm. John kicked the ball through Mom's window. <laughs> that would be a piece of dialogue. Um, yeah. But but in the letter also starts with a D, which is why it's a bit confusing. We're probably talking about discourse, right? So oh, yeah. discourse is a logical assembly of 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 information that builds kind of um, uh, rational thought concepts together, and that's what we're going to be expecting to see in this letter. Personal correspondence. Yeah. Um. I'm now now that you mentioned that, I'm just thinking about. What was this? First Corinthians. What would that be? Because because there's 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 a letter that went to Paul, <laughs> and he writes a response. Obviously, but obviously it's not it's not like a dialogue dialogue, but it's a response to what they argue. Yeah. So look, I mean, it, it's still discourse. So what's happening in one Corinthians? Now we're getting sidetracked. But what happens in one Corinthians is you have a question that's followed yeah. by an extensive answer. So like a question like, what about spiritual things at the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 12? I was reading and studying that recently. And then the, this long discussion about about spiritual things in chapter 12, um, a question uh, uh, about um, worship. Uh, a question about head coverings, a question about communion, a question about various different things as you work through the book, uh, and then really um, discourse, uh, logical thoughts that are arranged to answer the question that was originally asked at the beginning of the book. They would be, uh, just so that people understand, what are, what are some other different types of genres in God's Word? I mean, if this is a letter, if this is an yeah. epistle, I mean, you're going to use the fancy, the fancy theological words. If this is an epistle um, and it's made up of discourse, these rational concepts and ideas, what, what are the other genres that we find in Scripture? Um, well, history. Sure. Uh, poetry. Like the Book of Acts is history. Yeah. 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 Great example. Give me another one. Poetry. Psalms. Yeah. Okay, um, so those would be those would be examples of genres: poetry, wisdom literature, you know, as a as a broader category, um, law, you know, the Torah, um, the first five books written by Moses. Uh, these would be examples of genres. Well, let's uh, <laughs> let's dive in to the first verse now. And as we come to the first verse, we read, "You therefore, my son, be strong." in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Mm. And then really, you've got to link verse 1 and verse 2 together 
because there's a conjunction between the two of them. Now, I am reading from the uh, Christian Standard Bible, but but I did study this text uh, in the original language, and there is a conjunction in between verse 1 and 2. There's an and (laughs) that's there. And so verse 1 and 2 are connected together. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What are some of the things that we can learn from those two verses? Uh, let's see. So obviously, so is it what you've learned from me, right? Oh, let's, let me just get there. I had a little well, for a second. Well, while, while you find your place, um, yeah. let, let me say uh, that there is something that you can see even in English, um, but it's very apparent if you had to look uh, at the verse in the original languages, there is a uh, imperative. Imperative is just a big fancy word for a command. There's a, yeah. there's a command in verse 1. You, th- you therefore, my son, be strong. Uh, that is an imperative. It is in the present tense. It is in a passive voice, and it is an imperative verb. Be yes. strong. Paul is commanding Timothy to be strong, and it's to mm-hmm. be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Um, and then he goes on to say, you need to transfer um, information. You need to teach others to teach. Yeah, that, that would be a a good place a good place to start just in terms of first observations of the text mm-hmm. um, and maybe just to tell you how, how I would go about discovering that if, if I'm listening if I'm listening to the radio right now maybe you heard me say in the original language and you say well I didn't speak Greek how could I discover that well you can there's so many tools that are available to English uh, to English readers of scripture um, to go back and to look and discover um, what is in the original languages. And so straight after the break, what we'll do is we will come back and we will talk about the Blue Letter Bible um, and how one can use a tool like that to see what is going on uh, in the original Greek. Uh, now yeah. what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going to a break um, we're going to listen to some music, and after that, uh, we will listen to some adverts, and we look forward to you joining us for the second hour of the show uh, after 10. Well, folk, it's great to be with you and great to be back for the second hour of the show. We're going to be running from 10 to 11. Uh, it's together with uh, Temple Pitzel. Um, we've been working for the first half of the show uh, through <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 2, but really what we've been doing is introducing uh, the chapter. We've looked at the book, we've looked at the genre, uh, we've looked at some of the context, the historical context, the city of Ephesus. We've looked at the um, the author, Paul, toward the end of his life. We've looked at the recipient, Timothy, uh, his age and his disposition, uh, his timidity. Uh, Tepel also um, spoke about just some of the either false teaching or opposition that Timothy has been feeling within the context of the local church of Ephesus. I guess in some ways this isn't unlike many, many church situations, uh, even around our country. 
Um, and there are many Timothy pastor-like figures um, at those kinds of churches. This would be a fatherly, loving letter um, from the Apostle Paul uh, toward his son of the faith, um, uh, engaging him on these critical issues. And so now we've just read through verse 1 and verse 2, and our desire is to work our way toward verse 20 um, over the next hour. And so in order to do that, we, we needed to start talking about the actual verses themselves. Uh, we come to uh, verse 1 and 2 in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it reads, You therefore, my son, be strong. And I made the observation uh, in the first hour of the show that that word be strong in the Greek uh, is an imperative. It is a command. Um, and I even said something like it's in the present tense and it's in the passive voice. Uh, and then I said, you don't have to be a pastor or be able to read and write Greek in order to find that out. In actual fact, there are tools that are available um, to all of us, uh, English speakers and English both first and second language speakers that we can access in order to, to make the observation which I just made. And this observation is really critical in order to understand what's going to be happening in the chapter before us. And so uh, the tool that I spoke about was Blue Letter Bible. It is a free tool and it is available. Um, it is a website. If you had to go to Google, which answers all of life's most important questions, that's just a joke. Um, but if you had to go to Google and type in blue, as in the color blue, um, letter as in uh, ABC, letters of the alphabet, letter, and then Bible as in God's inerrant, inspired, infallible, sufficient word. <laughs> if you type in blue letter Bible, uh, it will take you to the website uh, that I'm talking about. And the first thing that you would then do is just look for the search um, for the search tab, and you would type in 2 Timothy 2 into the search tab, and it'll bring up the chapter. Um, it'll be quite a basic format, uh, one verse at a time. But if you click on the actual verse on the left-hand side, it will expand the verse, and it will have Greek at the top, and then it'll have every single word in English running down the middle of the page and next to it it'll have its corresponding greek word <laughs> and next to that will be a little icon which says pass to pass the greek word if you click on that button it will tell you what type of speech the various different word is in the original language and so as i did that for chapter uh, 2 verse 1 um, as I went to Blue Letter Bible and typed in 2 Timothy 2 and got the chapter and then clicked on verse 1 and ran all the words down the left-hand side and saw the Greek words on the right-hand side and I clicked on pass for each individual word. I could very quickly determine what were conjunctions, what were prepositions, what were nouns, adjectives, adwords, uh, and what were verbs in the sentence. And next to the particular verb, be strong, I could see that this be strong was a verb it was in the present tense, which means that the author is saying that you need to be strong right now um, as a continual disposition of your heart, Timothy. You need to presently be strong, that it's in the passive voice, uh, and that's a technical reality that we don't have to go into right now, um, but that it is an imperative. It's a command. 
And the reason why I point this out and the reason why I'm equipping you with the tool is because as we go through chapter two, we discover clusters of verbs. In actual fact, the, the entire passage can be divided up very nicely and neatly uh, into various different verbs. Let, let me tell you the, these imperative verbs that, that I'm referring to. In verse one, there's this imperative, this command, be strong. In verse three, again, a command, share in the suffering. Um, it is an imperative. Verse 7, consider what I say. It's a command to consider what I say, not a suggestion to consider what Paul is saying. Verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Again, an imperative command. And as we carry on through the text and we get to, for example, um, uh, let's... Uh, Let's go to verse 14. Remind them. It's a command that some people need to be reminded of certain things. Verse 15. Be diligent. It's a command to be diligent. Verse 16. Avoid irrelevant and empty speech. Um, as you carry down to verse 19. Let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord run away from, from <laughs> wickedness. wickedness. It is a command. Uh, and then a cluster of commands in verse 22 and following. Flee from youthful passions. Pursue righteousness. Um, uh, reject, um, uh, what does it say? Reject foolishness and ignorant uh, pursuits. These verbs that are commands, imperative commands, are, are scattered um, sequentially through this chapter. And really, they give a list of things that the Apostle Paul wants Timothy to do urgently in the context in which he finds himself. And so if we return again to verse 1, it says, you therefore, and whenever you see a therefore, by the way, that's a, it's a conjunction, it's a joining word, conjunction is a joining word, it's joining what came before to what comes now and so whenever you see a therefore you should ask what is the therefore therefore and basically it'll throw us back to chapter one into the conversation in chapter one he says my son this is a, a term of endearment um, be strong he's commanding his son in the faith this young man Timothy who is in a difficult situation in the church that he's in to be strong well, what's he to be strong in? I mean, that's a good question. I could say be strong because you're a strong man, but Timothy wasn't. He was a young man. He was given to weakness. He was somewhat timid. Paul says to him, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And grace and mercy are two words that are closely connected together. The word mercy really is talking about God withholding from us that which we deserve. We deserve his wrath. We deserve punishment for our wickedness. Mercy is when God withholds from us that we, which we deserve. But grace is when God gives us what we don't deserve. Paul says, my son, be strong in the grace. You don't deserve it, but, I, but you're going to get it. That is in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the strongest source of strength one could ever imagine. He created the heavens and the earth and the stars and the moon and the sun. He is the almighty and all-powerful God. And Paul says, my son Timothy, if you are to be strong and I'm commanding you to be strong, 
Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Then what are you to do with that strength? Because I don't just want you to be strong for the sake of being strong. Well, I I want you to do this verse too. I, I want you to take what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. When we come to verse 2, Temple, anything that you want to say uh, about that, that, that verse? Any, any, um, any observations that you want to make? Yeah. So I think, I think um, what Paul is doing here is, which, which I like, <laughs> because he's saying, look, Timothy, um, you've you've heard from me and you've um, watched me do these things and so in like the things that you've heard from me I want you to commit to faithful men meaning that there's a there's a um, there's a there's things that Paul taught Timothy there's Paul, there's things that um, Timothy heard from Paul right and he says in the midst of many witnesses <laughs> or in the presence of many witnesses um, so, so again, that also that also comes to the point of uh, there are people who can bear witness to what Timothy heard from Paul, and basically, I think I think also what what this ties into is um, like that watching your life and doctrine closely, and so he says, teach these teach these things or commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also and so I think Paul is saying from my life pass on to other men who will be able to carry on this legacy of serving the Lord that's Hmm. basically what I think is um, what Paul is saying here from what you've heard what you've witnessed pass on to other men because this is um, um, what is this this is good and will bring uh, what is this glory to God Yeah, you know, if I had to just summarize the first two verses, it would be this. Be strong and teach others to teach. That's really what he's saying. Be strong and teach others to teach. And on verse 2, I would also highlight um, that there are four generations. This is a like a teaching continuum that Paul is talking about here. He, he's talking about himself teaching t- Timothy. And so he would be the first person, right? And then he's talking about Timothy, the second generation, teaching uh, other faithful men. These other faithful men are then the third generation, and they will be able to teach others also. That's the fourth generation. There's a four-generational four teaching continuum that Paul is describing here. And I would, I would say we already have something that we can apply in our local churches and something that certainly is going to be in line with everything that comes uh, after in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and it's this. Friends, those of you who are pastors are to be given to a teaching ministry. <laughs> you are to be given to finding Timothy, who you can teach to teach other people to teach other people also, so that this baton is handed from one generation to another. I mean, the question is then, well, what are you to teach? And the answer that Paul would give you very quickly is sound doctrine. Uh, That will be a repeated phrase in all of Paul's writings. We are to pass on from one generation to the other, the sound doctrine, the, the, the faith that was once delivered to the saints. And so 
As he is addressing Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he begins by saying, My son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus and teach others to teach also. And so that would be then the first imperative, the first command, be strong to Timothy. The second command it is strange because be strong might give you the idea that Timothy is to overcome right? He is to win. Uh, when we think of strength, we think of maybe soldiers on the battlefield that, that overcome the opposition and, and beat the opposition. And he's going to use the illustration of a soldier soon. But the next command really is the opposite of that idea of victory. He says, you therefore, and the therefore isn't in the English translation that I'm reading from, um, but the conjunction is there in the language. In verse 3, you therefore share in suffering. You share in suffering. And then he gives us three examples uh, in the rest of verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 6. And three examples of what he means by sharing in suffering. The first example is that of a soldier. Um, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus, um, why? Because no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life that he seeks to please the commanding officer. In other words, you, you need to share in suffering, um, and we're going to find out that this suffering is Timothy's suffering. I guess conceptually, you can't divorce it from the fact that our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered. Um, Timothy, your ministry, even as you are to be strong and you're to stand against these people that would intimidate you, these people that would present false teaching, even as you go about teaching others to teach, you need to realize that ministry, and your ministry in particular, Timothy, is sometimes described rightfully as suffering. And I'm commanding you, Paul, as your father in the faith, you as my son in the faith, I'm commanding you to share in that suffering and you to do it as a good soldier, um, pleasing your commanding officer. The commanding officer in this text is Jesus Christ. You're a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We're, we're, to, we're to live out our ministries, whatever they might be. In this case, Timothy as the pastor or as the uh, apostolic nunche. I mean, we can, get in, we can get into exactly what Timothy was uh, in the city of, of Ephesus. But, but, but he is to go about his ministry as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, sharing and partaking in suffering even for that ministry, because that's how important the ministry is. Here's another example. He gives it in verse 5. If you look at your Bible, it says also, and that again is a conjunction. We now have a list here, right? So what, what came before this good soldier, uh, this, this metaphor of a good soldier describing the kind of suffering that Timothy needs to go through? Um, well, now we have a, a second metaphor that's going to be added to this list. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Like we've just had the Olympic Games, right? Now, I don't know if you watched the Olympic Games or not. Um, actually, I guess in some ways the metaphor <laughs> the metaphor will be understood even if you didn't. I, I didn't watch the, the Olympic Games, but I certainly um, saw uh, some of the um, victories and some of the losses and some of the news articles um, on the internet and on News 24 or whatever news channel I'm, I'm getting information from. Well, Paul makes the point that this suffering needs to be according to certain rules. 
that Timothy needs to stay within the, the framework, stay within the boundaries uh, that Paul has given to him in the past. That just like an athlete participating at the Olympic Games can't, you know, dope up, um, can't run out of their lanes, can't use a stick to pole vault, which is, you know, longer than X, Y, Z meters or shorter than whatever. Um, just like athletes need to compete according to rules, so too those who will share in suffering, those who minister, Timothy in particular, who ministers in Ephesus, needs to compete, needs to be within the framework, within the rules uh, that will govern his ministry. And then he gives a third way that ministers suffer in ministry. And now, now we're going to apply this to ministers just after this because <laughs> ministry can be suffering. And we need to explain to you what that might be. But the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. In other words, uh, this ministry, the metaphor here, is, is one of reward. Like, work hard, Timothy. Work hard to please Jesus like a good soldier. Work hard according to the rules like a good athlete. And work hard like a farmer, a hard-working farmer, knowing that whilst ministry is difficult and ministry can be suffering, and Paul is commanding Timothy to suffer in the ministry that he is in, there is ultimately reward at the end of the day. Now, now verse 7 contains another imperative, but before I get there, I just want to talk a little bit about suffering well and working hard in ministry. Ministry really is difficult. Um, I know very, I mean, I know a lot of pastors. I, I love connecting with pastors. I, I spend quite a large portion of my day uh, engaging with friends that I stand shoulder to shoulder with in Benoni. So I will engage with maybe Andrew Butterworth at God First, uh, which is down the road from me. I will engage with Rocky Stevenson, who is at Benoni Bible Church. I will engage with Andre Brodrake. Um, I will engage with Brent uh, Smith, who's at Connections. Uh, he, that's in, uh, in Assemblies of God Church. I engage with all of these pastors um, because I love pastors and because I'm a pastor. Uh, and it's good to speak to your peers and find out how things are going and what's working right now in the church and what's not. But one of the reasons why I engage with them is because ministry is often suffering. And when my friends um, in the faith, this band of brothers suffers, I don't want them to suffer by themselves. I have a pastor friend who's in a foreign country uh, north of us in Africa, and he is going through a terrible time at the moment. This morning I woke up and I prayed for him, and I sent him a WhatsApp voice note or a WhatsApp message just to say, you know, brother, you and your family are in my prayers. Um, and whilst I didn't say it, um, I certainly understand it that he is commanded to share in the suffering and ministry so often is suffering. But it's not just suffering, there's also reward. Um, uh, there is also joy in ministry because you're working with people and you get to see people saved and you get to see lives changed and you get to see churches flourish sometimes. Um, ministry can be an amazing delight. And I think that that is what Paul is saying to Timothy uh, from verse three all the way to verse seven. He's saying, you know, Paul, just like, uh, you know, Timothy, sorry, just like I've told you to be strong and teach others to teach. Well, I also want you to suffer well and work hard and keep your eye on the goal. You know, athletes run for a goal. 
soldiers battle for a goal and hard-working farmers ought to be the first to get a share of the crops. Keep your mind on the fact that this ministry is not for nothing. Anything to add um, to verse uh, 3 to 6, uh, Tepo? No, I want, I, I want us to get to the meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, verse 7 says, and here's another command, consider. I mean, it's strange. It doesn't come across as a command uh, in our English translations, but it is a command. It's present. It's active. And so um, it's present. I want you to do this right now. And it's active. You must do this like a, an active um uh, it would be like, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's active and it's an imperative. It's a command. Mm. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. In other words, think of these three examples I've just given you. The hardworking farmer, the competing athlete who's competing according to the rules, uh, and the soldier who is... Um, who's uh, fighting and trying to please his commanding officer, consider these things and the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Well, now there seems to be a bit of a shifting gear and we get to verse 8 and uh, what follows. And 8 to 13 really is a a logical unit. Um, From verse 8 to 13, uh, we we really see uh, Paul um, calling upon Timothy to remember, and that's the imperative verb here, remember Jesus Christ. Look, if you're going to have a successful ministry in Ephesus, the city, if you are going to be strong in the grace of Christ, and not only that, if you're going to share in the sufferings of Christ, if you're going to share share in my sufferings, then you need to remember what? What is going to fuel Timothy's ministry? It's not Remember (laughs) so many of the things that people get sidetracked in in ministry in our day and age. It's remember the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And I want to add those two things together. It's both the person of Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ, which Paul is now going to describe to Timothy. So let's just go through, step through this. And again, remember, this is this is a discourse. Uh, These are logical, rational ideas which are connected to one another. Let's step through this uh, relatively quickly. Uh, What do we know about Jesus according to Paul in verse 8? Well, he's risen from the dead and descended from David according to my gospel. Gospel being the good news which was proclaimed. Jesus rose from the grave. Um, When we talk about the gospel, the gospel's got three components in it. It's got the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, uh, and the call on all men everywhere to put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Well, that, that's what that's what um, uh, Paul has in mind right now. He has in mind the gospel. Uh, he, he talks about the resurrection uh, from the dead. And then he talks about for which I suffered to the point of being bound like a criminal. He's talking about his own suffering for the cause of this gospel proclamation. But even though Paul has suffered, he he wants Timothy to know that the word of God is not bound in the same way. Rather, Paul himself has endured all things for the elect. Anything that you want to say about the elect in uh, one sentence or two sentences, uh, (laughs) Tepo? The elect are, well, just as the word elect means, it means chosen. And so those are the chosen of God to salvation. Hey, brother, side note, have you been watching The Chosen, the the series, The Chosen at all? 
actually, actually, I've been well. It's on my to do list. Yeah, it's on my watch list as well. I haven't gotten around to it. If you're listening in uh, to the show this morning and you have actually watched The Chosen, I'd love to hear a short review from you. Uh, Drop it into the comments or uh, send it in via WhatsApp. Um, I'd be very interested to know if it is worth watching. A number of people have recommended it it to me. Um, But really, this word elect, Paul says, look, I've enjoyed all things for the elect, for the chosen, uh, I like the definition that uh, Tepo has given. Uh, the Greek is very literally transliterated into English, the uh, electos, um, so that they may obtain salvation. This is about salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Then he goes on to say, this is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, we will also deny, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. This, the section from verse eight all the way through to verse 13 is about the centrality of Jesus Christ in the ministry of the faithful minister. And so Paul is going through this series of commands to this young man, Timothy, in a difficult church where opposition is coming against him. And he is saying at the start, you must be strong and you must teach others to teach. You must suffer well and you must work hard and you must remember the centrality of Jesus Christ in your ministry. Well, now we're coming, well, relatively close uh, to verse 20. Um, and we are entering into the last half an hour of the show. And so um, we, we need to shift gears to make sure that we get to verse 20. Um, but he begins to talk about this teaching. Uh, remind others to teach worthwhile things in verse 14. He says, remind them, and that is an imperative. Remind, and I mean, there's, there's, two, there's two kind of um, possible interpretations here in, in terms of who the them are. Who, who's the them? Are they those who Timothy must teach or are they the elect? And as you read through the sentence, it becomes very clear that it's it's those whom Timothy has already been told to be strong and teach others to teach. It's those who now need to be reminded of these things, of the centrality of Jesus Christ that Paul has been commanding Timothy um, to, to, to keep close to heart and charge them before God not to fight about words because this is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Now, friends, we are coming closer and closer to verse 20, which is the verse which is under consideration. But now, as we're drawing closer, we're getting closer to the the parts of the discourse, the parts of the, the logical thought process, the parts of the rational ideas which Paul is presenting to Timothy that he wants Timothy to understand. If we're going to rightly interpret verse 20, we need to do it through the lens of everything that has come before, the, the, the whole strain of conversation which gets to that particular verse. And yeah, we're getting close to what Paul is actually speaking about. He's saying, listen here, remind those folk whom you are teaching, whom you have been given charge over, in this case, the church of Ephesus, Remind them of things like the person of Jesus Christ and his person and his work and charge them 
not to go about meaningless fights and conversations over things that are outside of the priorities of the Christian faith. That's what he's really doing in verse 14. There's another imperative in verse 15. He says, be diligent. Um, be continuously diligent. Be diligent in in all things, but very specifically, be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of God. I think there's three things that are going on in terms of this call to diligence. Number one, uh, our call to diligence as ministers of God's word is to present ourselves to God as one approved. I mean, really, at the end of the day, Timothy, you don't stand subject uh, to people who might be naysaying you or people who might be pulling you down in public. Ultimately, your first um, uh, responsibility is to the Most High God who is seated over the heavens and the earth and who is the head of the church. Your first responsibility is to be diligent to God, not to man, to obey God, not to obey man. You must, at first, keep in mind that your calling is a divine calling. Secondly, in terms of this whole diligence, you're a worker. Um, You're a worker and you need not be ashamed. Who doesn't need to be ashamed? You have to go about this work. Uh, This is an ongoing theme through Paul's letter to Timothy. He's already said, look, I'm bound for the sake of the gospel um, in verse 8 to verse 13. He's already said, listen, as you go about ministering, you need to minister as a soldier. You need to minister as an athlete uh, who is straining. You need to minister as a hard-working farmer. And now we have another metaphor. You need to minister as a worker, a a person who works hard, who engages in the task of ministry in this church. And number three, your diligence needs to be specifically aimed at correct teaching of the word of truth. Um, Correct teaching, rightly dividing the word of truth. And the word of truth, God's word is truth. Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Uh, You can go and read Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 to get an idea of how God sees his word. He sees it as perfect. He sees it as pure. He sees it as something to be treasured. And he sees it as truth. Um, We need to correctly teach the word of truth. And we need to be diligent as we go about this. Anything to add as we go through verse 15, uh, Tips? No, I'm, I'm waiting for verse 20. Yo, 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 you're keeping your powder dry. <laughs> you just, you're just you just waiting for the, for, the, for, the, for the big guns of war. Okay, we, we, we're getting there, brother. We're getting there. <laughs> so as we've been going through uh, 2 Timothy, what we've been really trying to do is set the context so that when we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 20 and 21, we understand the context, the flow of thought, the discourse, the, the rational arguments or the rational conversation that Paul has been using to build up um, 2 verse 20 in particular. Uh, we have gone um, firstly uh, through these imperatives, be strong and then suffer well, and then remember the centrality of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, we then continued um, in verse 14. Remind others to teach worthwhile things, not rubbish, to fight about words, and then to be diligent to teach the truth. Now he says, you're actually to avoid irrelevant and empty speech. And again, this is an imperative. And the imperative starts with a conjunction at the beginning of verse 16. It's really but avoid. In other words, there's a contrast which has been which has been drawn here um, between either the reminding them not to fight about useless words or the being diligent. And there's a contrast which is now saying avoid irrelevant and empty speech. Why? Because it will uh, because those of you who engage in it will produce even more godlessness. In other words, empty speech, irrelevant, meaningless conversations, instead of moving people towards godliness, moves people towards godlessness. Tepo, I actually quoted um, today on Facebook, um, I dropped a quote, which I, I think I saw on your wall. It was an H.B. Charles quote. H.B. Uh, Charles, a really excellent preacher um, in the States, a young man. I, I mean, he's younger than me, isn't he? Mm, yeah, I think so. Maybe I'm looking at uh, at, at older video clips of him, but he but he looks young. He he often wears um, really cool uh, bow ties. Um, he is a powerful preacher. I mean, he really is. He 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 is an excellent exegete of God's word, an expositor of God's word. And the quote that uh, that you dropped, uh, you dropped it a couple of days ago. I picked it up today. When something like this, good theology leads to good morals, or yeah, godly morals, or something morality. to that effect. Good morality. theology yeah, leads theology to good morality. Yes, there you go. It's this idea that good teaching leads to good living, um, godly living living which is wholesome, living which is God-glorifying, living which could be characterized as holy, set apart to God. And, and bad theology, conversely, will lead to um, poor living, to poor lifestyle, um, to unholy living. Well, that's really what Paul is saying here. Um, he's not quoting H.P. Charles. H.P. Charles, I'm sure, is quoting the Apostle Paul. But, but what the Apostle Paul is saying is avoid irrelevant and empty speech. Um, speech which goes nowhere, speech which isn't based on the person of Jesus Christ, isn't based on the truth of God's word, because ultimately that speech leads to godlessness. Um, he then goes on to say, there's a, there's a conjunction in verse 17, and, in other words, there's a list. Those who engage in it will produce even more godlessness, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. In other words, he has a metaphor. Yeah, yeah, he has a, an illustration of what godlessness looks like. It looks like gangrene. It, it looks like it looks like a cancer. It it looks like a mess. Um, and then he gives an example. He he names false teachers in verse seventeen. He says, "Harminus <laughs> and Philetus are among them." Friends, I don't think we name enough false teachers in our day and age. Um, Tepo, you want to drop a couple of names of false teachers? I'm just no, kidding. No, I didn't <laughs> but, but, but in reality, I, I mean, Paul boldly says, listen, in your local church in Ephesus, as you are serving, as you are coming against people who are obstacles to the word of God, I want to tell you who they are, just in case you're confused, just in case people don't know, um, Hymenus and Philetus are amongst them. 
And then he goes on and he gives an indictment against these two false teachers. These two people who are filled with irrelevant and empty speech, which is leading to godlessness. He says they have departed from the truth. And you'll remember um, back to verse 15, uh, the the, the diligent man who is approved, who is a worker, he correctly divides the word of truth. Well, these men have departed from the truth. And mm. they have been saying that the resurrection has already taken place. And they are ruining the faith of some. It seems very specifically that the false teacher under consideration here really went against the very gospel message. The gospel message that Jesus died, that he rose from the grave, and that all men everywhere must repent and put their faith and trust in him. Well, that, that's a gospel message which comes with a divine promise. <laughs> if Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. That there's a time coming when Jesus Christ, who has ascended into glory, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who will come again to judge the living and the dead. There's a truth that on that day all will be raised. The dead will be raised to stand before the judgment throne of Jesus Christ. Uh, the living, those who are in Christ, will be raised to eternal life. Well, these two false teachers were saying that that resurrection had already taken place. Uh, it's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's, it's talking about the resurrection uh, of all of humanity to glorified bodies, particularly the resurrection of the righteous um, to eternal, uh, joyful, um, presence, living, uh, eternal life with Jesus Christ. And this is ruining the faith of some. That's the problem, that, that some are, are abandoning their sound faith and are chasing after um, false teaching, are chasing after uh, godlessness, are, are living lives which are descending in and spiraling toward godlessness. So he said, remind others to teach worthwhile things, be diligent to teach the truth yourself, avoid false teaching, avoid these false teachers like the plague, uh, which is quite a good uh, uh, turn of phrase because he's spoken about gangrene. And then verse 19, now this is one verse before verse 20, he starts talking about the gospel being the foundational truth that Timothy must teach. And you will see that there is a logical flow of Pauline thought as we go through this entire chapter. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm Okay, and that's why uh, this is a firm foundation bearing this unique inscription. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. It's very interesting here that the two uh, imperatives, the two commands which are used in verse 19, these two commands are now not to Timothy himself, but rather are to the hearers in the Ephesian church. These are whom Timothy is to teach. Um, Timothy obviously is giving one line of teaching, a, a, a solid, righteous, sound doctrine, wholesome line of teaching. The false teachers, Hymenus and Philetus, are giving a second line of teaching. And their line of teaching is, is, is filled with leaven. It is false teaching. It's leading to godlessness. It's gangrenous. It's cancerous. It's, it's, it's bad teaching. Well, now Paul lists his imperatives not to Timothy, but rather to Timothy's hearers, as well as to these false teachers' hearers. And he says, let, and that is a command, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, 
turn away from wickedness. In other words, your profession of faith, it needs to look like something. If you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you call on the name of the Lord. And he says, let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, second imperative, turn away from wickedness. In other words, reject that false teaching, reject that godlessness, reject that wickedness, and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Now, at this stage, to be honest with you, I'm not a hundred percent sure if Paul has in his mind wickedness in terms of the teaching of the false teachers, if that in itself is wickedness, or wickedness in terms of the lifestyle that false teaching is giving birth to. It might be that Paul is being intentionally vague so that it could be either bad teaching, bad theology, or bad morals, bad lifestyle. It could be that the emphasis is on teaching because certainly uh, the conversation right from verse 1 all the way through to verse 19 has been on teaching. And so turn away from wicked teaching or, or, or teaching that will result in further wickedness. Um, and it could be lifestyle. But ultimately, God's solid foundation is firm and it bears this in inscription. God knows who, who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Um, maybe one more point on verse 19, the first half of verse 19. The Lord knows who are his. Have you noticed Paul's emphasis in 2 Timothy chapter 2 on election? <laughs> Remember the, that conversation on the electos, on the chosen, um, that that, uh, that uh, Temple gave us the definition for earlier? Um, and now again, this emphasis on God knowing those who are his, the, the emphasis on, on God's uh, intentionality uh, in, this, in this, this matter of faith, in this matter of salvation. Now that's actually a quote. Um, it's a quote from Numbers chapter 16 verse 5 and from Numbers chapter 16 verse 25 to 26. Uh, that quote really is, is a, a section of um, of of a story that, that tells of people turning away from God and um, giving false teaching and then God bringing um, judgment on the false teachers uh, in Israel. And so now you've got what looks like a fairly comprehensive discourse of Paul around false teachers and around their false teaching, using metaphors to describe them, using illustrations to describe them, and now even using an Old Testament quote in order to ground us around false teachers and their false teaching. Like, I know we're not at verse 20 yet, uh, Tepo, but mm. do you have anything that you want to add regarding verse 19? Yeah, so, so that wickedness, I do think, so that quote... <laughs> By H.B. Charles actually comes from uh, a sermon he preached on this particular text. <laughs> hey, bro, were you were, were you doing a little bit of research by listening to a good preacher on this text in preparation for today? No, not today. I listened to it last week. <laughs> okay, okay, but but yeah. but it was for two Timothy chapter two. I love that, yeah. and it was good. And he's a good preacher to listen to. Definitely can commend yeah. so him to others as well. Yeah, so so that wickedness basically. So I I do think. Um, so you said it's either talking to 
the type of message that they preach or the the lifestyle that flows from what they preach <laughs> well i yeah. do think it's it's both because what they teach is what they believe and what they believe will be how they live yeah you know what that's another quotable quote from sepo there what they teach <laughs> is what they believe and what they believe is how they live I, i'm going to probably quote that on on facebook after the show that was really cool Sep. <laughs> cool <laughs> Well, maybe you then want to introduce us to verse 20 and 21, because we've now done the hard work of, of finding context. Um, yeah. do, do you want to introduce us then to verse 20 and 21, and we can start to talk around that for the last uh, eight minutes of the show? Cool. So 20 says this, Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also those of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. So if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Yeah, so the question that we had um, two weeks ago, we asked the question about what is this large house? <laughs> but, but now basically from context, we can't we, we 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 can't come to another conclusion but see this as God's household, right? And then in God's household there are these types of um, vessels. Um, and obviously vessels are used for different types of things, and there are those who are used for honorable use and dishonorable use. And so but but the main the main thing here is that even those who are dishonorable can be purified and be used for good work. So it seems it seems here that those those bad teachers, <laughs> those bad teachers who are in God's household, um, still can purify themselves and be used for honorable use. Because if if you also look at um, what Timothy's been or what what Paul's been saying to Timothy, he's been saying that. Um, uh, well, obviously, teach teach certain men to be faithful to the text, and so you've got these false teachers who they themselves, um, which which we we actually talked about, does twenty and twenty one flow from the Lord knows those who are His, and sort of um, take them out <laughs> of um, the whole thing itself, as in, can they be redeemed? From their falsehood, or can they not? <laughs> so, so that that's also still for me like a, a bit of a blurry one. But yeah, so there's mm. there's there's a chance for those um, that um, uh, purification can still happen, and then uh, certain people can also be used for honorable use. Yeah, and every good work. Yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, you've you've introduced the you've introduced the ideas, and you've made the connection to verse 19 and I guess there's two options here um, as we come to verse 20 and 21. There's, there's a couple of things that we that, that we do need to say. One is uh, we need to draw the distinction between the universal church and the local church. Now I introduced those concepts right at the beginning of the show like two hours ago. I introduced the concept of the universal church. That's all people throughout all time who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior are part of the universal church. Um, now, now, when it comes to God's household, yeah, I don't think that the context is talking of the universal church. 
when it's talking about a large household, I think it's talking about the local church. I think it's talking about the church in Ephesus. I think it's talking about this church in Ephesus that Timothy is being commanded to be strong in, that Timothy is being commanded to suffer well in, that Timothy is being commanded to remember the centrality of Jesus Christ in. I think as, as, as Paul is speaking to Timothy and he's, and he's commanding him to remind others, he's talking about this household, this church in Ephesus, this local church that Timothy is to be diligent in and that Timothy is to avoid irrelevant speech in. So that would be the, the first step is that this large house that Paul is talking about is the local church in Ephesus. And he's saying, look, I've been spending the last 19 verses telling you that there are two types of teachers in this local house. <laughs> there are wholesome teachers who teach the truth and the truth leads to godly living. And there are false teachers who teach error and that error leads to godliness. There are gold and silver vessels and there are wood and clay vessels. There are vessels who are being used for honorable use and there are vessels that are being used for dishonorable use. And so verse 20 really is an illustration of verse 19 all the way through to, uh, sorry, verse 1 all the way through to verse 19. But when he says, so if anyone purifies himself from anything dishonorable, he will be changed. He will be a special instrument, set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He is talking about verse 19 in particular. And verse 19 gives us, tells us two things. One is the Lord knows who are his. There, there are those who are elect. There are those who are chosen. And God knows who are, they, who are these. And, and that must have given Timothy himself so much confidence as he went into the local church that he served and and put these matters of truth on the table and stood against the false teachers, Hymenus and Philetus. But it says in verse 19, let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from their wickedness. And it seems to me that verse 21 is this is this call, um, it is this plea, is this offer from Paul to the false teachers, even in Ephesus, even men like Hymenus and Philetus, uh, to turn away and call on the name of the Lord and be counted rather than as dishonorable vessels, vessels of wood and clay, uh, be counted as honorable vessels, gold and silver vessels, special instruments set apart, holy unto the Lord and useful to the master and the master is Jesus Christ prepared rather than for deeds of wickedness and for godlessness prepared for good works you know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that we prepared for them even before the foundation of the world there's a call on the false teachers in Ephesus to turn away from the error of their ways and the error of their teaching and to follow the truth that was delivered once and for all to the saints well, friends that are listening today, we come to the we come to the end of two hours. We've been working through two Timothy chapter two, and we have landed at verse twenty one. Um, I carried on and through verse uh, through to the end of the chapter, and then even into chapter three uh, to the end of chapter three, as I was studying through this text, um, just because it was so rich and so beautiful and so applicable to so much that we see in the church today around us. I, I'd encourage you to spend time in God's Word, 
spend time going through God's word carefully as an approved workman who, who loves God's work and who's diligent um, to show themselves approved um, to God. I, I'd encourage you to study God's word. Thanks very much to those of you who are commenting on Facebook and sending in voice notes. Uh, I will be going through those now. Uh, and I really do want to thank you um, for partnering with us even during the show today. Uh, in closing, our prayers do go out to all the elders and deacons who hold the line in local churches, as well as to our missionaries who are serving in foreign fields. And our prayers for and much respect go to first responders all around South Africa, our police, our uh, defense force, and to those who are dispensers of justice, uh, to the courts and judges in our lands, to firefighters, paramedics, nurses, as well as medical personnel and service correctional, <laughs> correctional service members. You've been listening to Table Talk with me, your host, uh, together with uh, Tepo Pitzel, and we are going to the news now. And so until next week, Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously. Amen.